Welcome to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. Transportation organizations like LA Metro exist to serve citizens with inexpensive mobility options. But long-standing barriers to public transportation access in America's second largest metropolitan area remain. Keandra Kyler Dodds, Executive Officer of Equity and Race at LA County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, points to location technology as a means to understand and tackle transportation inequality. We're utilizing geographic data to help us understand and then prioritize investments, prioritize project plans to make sure that we're connecting these communities to key destinations that they're trying to reach through our transportation system. Esri's Clinton Johnson and Cherie Ba investigate how technology is helping LA Metro democratize transit. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So for those unfamiliar with the LA Metro system, can you start by talking about that network and its significance to LA residents and visitors? So just for anyone who's unfamiliar, Metro is, it's a very unique uh, transportation agency. We're the third largest in the country uh, and we serve as a planner of transportation, a designer, a builder, and an operator. We play a role in nearly all forms of transportation except for planes, interestingly enough. That means we operate buses, which are our largest part of our system, rail, both heavy and light rail. Uh, we also have bike share as well as microtransit, which is our, our version of on-demand ride share. Lastly, we, we help to oversee and fund active transportation and freeway improvements. Outside of transportation, we also have several programs related to real estate. So we own land and we uh, lease it for the development of affordable housing and commercial developments around our transit stations, trying to build more transit-oriented communities. We have a very large service area. We, we cover 1,433 square miles, which is quite large. And then we have just under 10 million people in LA County. At our height of our ridership before COVID, we had about 1.2 million people riding each weekday. Now, during COVID, like many public transportation agencies, we did see a decrease. At our, our lowest point, our ridership was still 300,000 people per day. And today we're back to about 840,000 riders per day. And then lastly, our ridership is also primarily folks of color. We have about 58% of our riders are Latino, 14% are black, and many of them are also lower income. About 83% earn under $50,000 per year. Can you tell us a little bit more about LA Metro, the work and your role there? What are some of LA Metro's racial equity objectives and what's your role in meeting those? So my role is to really work throughout our agency, helping to foster the institutionalization of equity through, through everything that we do, right? From our programs to the services we provide. This includes a range of things. That means developing you know, tools to help people understand equity and inequities in particular, um, and then helping them to think through how to make certain decisions, whether it's related to our budget or planning, in order to address those inequities in the solutions that we're providing and to improve our service. My work also includes really focusing on better ways of engaging the community, having more inclusive practices and more targeted opportunities to not only engage and, and hear from our community members, but also to include them in our work, both in our, you know, the aspects of planning our projects and also implementing different programs. 
it's really a broad array of work, but the ultimate goal of all of our equity work is really to focus on using mobility as a way to increase access to opportunities like housing, like jobs, uh, healthcare, um, and even education. And we really try to focus on those with the fewest mobility options and facing the greatest barriers to access. What exactly is inequitable transportation access and how does it present itself in LA County? A couple things. One, I think a lot of folks are more getting more familiar with this history now, but historically we saw transportation inequities through things like freeway development. So in Los Angeles, freeways were primarily built through historically Black and Latino communities, often displacing families, dividing neighborhoods, and disrupting whole communities. This happened as recently as the 1990s uh, with the I-105 in Los Angeles. And now, while freeways were also planned to run through some primarily white and wealthier communities like Beverly Hills, in most cases, those freeways were never built. And part of that was pushback from the community and ultimately decisions from the cities not to build those. Now, more recently, you can see, in addition to the inequities that kind of have run historically from those freeway projects and other uh, historical decisions, you can see inequitable access in things like our active transportation infrastructure. So if you take bike lanes, for example, uh, there are great disparities in the number of bike lanes per street between the 88 cities uh, and the unincorporated parts of LA County. So cities like West Hollywood, which is mostly white, have more bike lanes um, than cities like Linwood or unincorporated East Los Angeles, which are mostly Latino and black. The, the infrastructure disparity that we see in something like bike lanes also corresponds with disparities that we see in laws around biking um, and then ultimately results in disparities in collision rates, fatality rates, and also contributes to what was recently spotlighted in LA Times to over-policing of Latino bike riders. The LA Times reported that in their review of data from the Sheriff's Department since 2017, seven out of every 10 bicyclists uh, stopped in LA County involved a Latino cyclist, even though they're just over 50% of the population. And most of the bike riders that were stopped and searched were also in poor communities with large non-white populations, more often on average than folks that are stopped in more fluent or wider communities. So just seeing the inequities in transportation also kind of connects these inequities in other parts of just people's lived experience, the impact of those. I'm glad you shared that history. And it's really important that you talked about some of the ways that those inequities land on people personally, and we can start to imagine like how that might spin out into other impacts on them. But I want to ask specifically um, if you can share, what are some of the economic impacts of, of inequitable access in general, and then particularly in LA? The first example that really comes to mind for me is, you know, while we're working on expanding our, our system um, and improving our service, generally higher quality transit, whether it's rail service or more frequent bus service, it tends to be concentrated in areas with more expensive housing. Now, this results in people moving towards the edge of our county or more suburban parts to find more affordable housing. And so while when this happens, we do see them, you know, reducing their housing costs, oftentimes their transportation costs go up and they either have to pay more 
for, you know, their bus fare or rail, especially if they're using commuter rail, or they start driving. And so that has a huge economic impact on households and the kind of trade-off and balance between housing costs and transportation costs. Now, this also has an impact on Metro um, because there's many studies that show that when we have lower income households living near transit, they tend to use it more. And so our ridership goes up. But when we have higher income folks moving closer along transit, uh, we tend to see ridership go down. And then if you think about the broader region um, and kind of the shift of workers going farther out, paying for, you know, more for transportation and typically having kind of longer commutes, it also impacts the workforce. You know, we're in a time where there's a workforce shortage in general. And so if you add in barriers uh, related to transportation, it, it really limits employers' ability to, to reach employees to, to fill the jobs that we really need them to fill these days. So it, it really has an impact on, you know, all aspects of society. Well, so that makes me curious. Who do you normally interact with? Who are your stakeholders? How do you normally collaborate with them? Yeah, so we interact with a variety of folks depending on, you know, the work that we're doing. So when we're, you know, trying to engage different communities across LA County, we tend to engage more with different community-based organizations. They may be, you know, bike advocacy organizations, affordable housing, climate justice, or environmental justice advocacy organizations. We, you know, have partnerships with different churches and synagogues. We also engage a lot with Metro's many advisory body members. Metro is I don't know if it's unique, but we have over 15 different advisory bodies. They kind of have different focuses and uh, represent different communities and interests and needs um, across the agency. And we work a lot with them to do things like, one, ensure that they're compensated. We recently created a policy to make sure that advisory body members are compensated for their time serving and working with Metro to provide strategic advice and then also just, you know, working with them to understand, do we have a good representation of our LA County population on the advisory bodies? Do we need to, you know, work on ways to diversify the bodies a bit more? A lot of our work is also kind of looking internally at just our practices and, and our policies. So our stakeholders are, are both, you know, our employees and also the folks that we're, we're trying to provide services for in the community. Can you give us a little more examples or maybe like some favorite projects that you've you've worked on in that area? My team is uh, responsible for overseeing the implementation of, of what we call our community-based organization partnership strategy. The goal of that strategy is to increase our, our partnerships, the ways in which we work with different CBOs and make them more equitable and more consistent. One uh, example that I'll start with is we have a project called our, our Vermont Transit Corridor. So we're trying to create improved transit um, and considering either bus or rail, rapid transit or rail along the Vermont Corridor in LA County, which if anyone's familiar with it, it's a very, very busy corridor. And so we worked with over 25 different CBOs to engage folks at bus stops, at community events, at spaces we don't traditionally go like homeless shelters. We really wanted our folks to get out and really just engage with folks that are using the system that would use the system if they saw these improvements that just live in the system and are, are impacted potentially by the work. And 
this is one of our biggest investments in CBO partnerships. We invested over $300,000 partnering with CBOs. So it was very exciting and we got great feedback. We're working on incorporating that feedback as uh, you know, the team is, is looking at plans for and options for the future for that project. And then the second example that I'll highlight, and this is really exciting because we just opened the K-Line, which is a new light rail line that connects several historic centers of really Black American life and, and, and culture in LA. We have eight new stations, and for those stations, our uh, arts team worked with a group of community-based art professionals. And so they, they came up with the parameters, things they were looking for. Cons they considered, you know, both community representation, but also the audiences that were, were coming to these stations and really wanted to make sure that they experienced the stations as cultural designations. A lot of work and time and, and years of development went into these incredible pieces that we now have at each of these eight stations. And so if you're ever out in LA and you get a chance to ride the K-Line, I recommend you, you take a ride and, and take some time to look at the art in each of the stations because it's, it's quite amazing. And it's been really well received by community members and broader LA County writers. Really great to hear that you all have gotten so engaged with the community. And what I want to understand and I want our users to understand is what that process can look like. What did you learn and what surprised you throughout that process? You know, I think some things were kind of reiterated for us. So I won't say we, we learned um, that, you know, meeting people where they are is the most effective way. That was something that, you know, it just another example of how important that is to make sure that you're meeting people in an accessible place and in a place where they feel comfortable because um, they have busy lives. They're doing a lot. And so if you want them to take some time to come and give feedback, you have to go to them. But then there are other things we planned to have our engagement in a certain time frame, And it simply took more time because building relationships and working out a scope of work of what the community-based organization was going to do and what Metro was going to do and just getting on the same page before you actually do the engagement, it takes time. And I think so many people underestimate how much time it takes. And so there are things you can do to, to learn to kind of shorten that time. But then there's also just the relational aspect of the work that you really can't cut corners around. It's really, really important. And it helps to make sure that you have successful engagement and that you have engagement opportunities afterwards, because we want to, you know, we're, we're not just in the community now for this project. We're, we're in LA County, like that is our permanent place. So we want to build these relationships and continue working with folks. And then I think the last thing that I'll that I'll say is it's really important and I think I've seen it a lot in our in our project teams the more they're working with CBOs the more they recognize and appreciate the expertise that they bring in helping us to do things like adjust our materials to make sure that they're not too technical but they provide enough information to people to provide informed opinions about the work and what they'd like to see, but they're also providing really accessible formats. In some situations, we may be using a tablet and there's a map and we want people to kind of show us what they'd like to see and where. And in some situations, folks are just more comfortable with some paper and a pen. So we have to be flexible and adjust, but we really can utilize the expertise of the CBOs that, are, that we're partnering with. 
I'm curious, what about geography is so important to your equity work? And I ask this because I think a lot of times there's not a real direct correlation, right, between location and geography, what we think of in our mind as that and equity. But I'm curious to hear from you, what is what about geography is so important to your work? For a lot of our work, the data that we use is really geography based, right? We're we're a transportation agency. So we're looking across LA County and we're looking at where people live and how they're getting from point A to point B. And also who is in different communities and what sort of locations are they traveling to? And so it's really helpful to understand, you know, the demographics of different communities. We've, we've created our, our version of uh, what we call our equity focused communities map to understand areas with high concentrations of folks that are low income, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and also lack car ownership to help us understand areas where we need to invest more into mobility improvements because there, there are fewer mobility options in these areas statistically based on these uh, demographics. And so we're utilizing geographic data to help us understand and then prioritize uh, investments, prioritize project plans to make sure that we're connecting these communities uh, both to our broader system, but also to key destinations that they're trying to reach, whether it's grocery stores or parks. In addition to looking at where people are living, we look at maps that highlight park need in LA County um, and different things like that. So we really it's our one of our main ways to use data to understand and prioritize needs in LA County uh, through our transportation system. How do you see technology improving collaboration between communities and policymakers regarding disparities in transportation in the future? Data is really powerful, especially when it's when it's well collected and documented, um, and especially when it's disaggregated and, and made accessible uh, to staff and, and the public, really. And so my team is utilizing technology in many ways to improve how we collaborate with folks and also how we uh, plan and, and implement projects to, to address disparities, right? So the first example I'll mention I talked a little bit earlier about how we create these different tools to help assess and understand equity. Uh, one tool that we've created is what we call our, our budget equity tool. So it's the Metro Budget Equity Tool, the MB. That tool we actually created online. And this allows us to work with staff as they're making budget requests to, un to ask questions about, you know, who is this really, who is this going to benefit? Um, and specifically, are there marginalized communities that might benefit? Are there potential communities that might be harmed by this? And if so, do you have a mitigation plan? And then what are other just equity considerations that went into this? Did you engage the community? Do you have funding for community engagement in this ask? So we really use the tool to integrate it into our budget system. Uh, so that we could get to kind of understanding our work from an equity lens. And it's, you know, it's very new for many folks, especially, you know, kind of incorporating equity into the budget, though it's very, very important. And so that's that's an example on the kind of internal side uh, where we're trying to impact our work so that it has a more equitable external impact. But then I'd say on the external side, We've we've done things like using mapping tools and surveys to try and reach 
uh, more folks will also add, you know, some incentives, like you could win a Metro, a monthly pass if you, you know, complete the survey. So we'll have a raffle that way. We've also, because, you know, with COVID, we couldn't meet in person. Um, So we had to find other ways to do sort of community design uh, sessions where we literally used to bring maps and people would draw, you know, what they'd like to see in the future or, or highlight like problem areas or there's always a bottleneck here or there's no sidewalk here or a place to cross the street. And so now we've kind of switched and started utilizing uh, virtual maps, which actually help us reach a broader audience because there's some folks that simply can't come or don't have time to come to our meetings, but they can use the online tool, um, especially because it's accessible via uh, cell phones or computer. You don't have to have a large screen. It's very user friendly. So we've, you know, looked at different tools, both to engage uh, community members, but also our staff as we try to, you know, work towards more equitable outcomes. Thank you for joining us today, Keandra. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with both of you. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Keandra Kyler-Dodds for describing the innovations being realized by LA Metro to improve transportation access and equity in one of the world's biggest, most complex metropolitan areas. If you like this episode, please take a moment to share it with a colleague.